0: Okay. So when I was an intern a few years ago in college, I was, we were on a mission trip and we were heading back from Wetumpka, Alabama. It was a middle school mission trip and we were literally almost home. It was the night before we were driving back to Norman and we were at a church and it was like one o'clock in the morning and the interns and I, some of the other interns and I were waiting on a guy to come fix one of the tires for one of the buses which is like already sketchy to begin with, like one o'clock in the morning waiting for a guy to change the tires. Like that's already questionable, but we were because the tire had popped. And so we were just out there, you know, having a good time, just chilling. And all the adult leaders were asleep because they needed the rest to drive the next day. And one of the middle school boys came out and went to one of the other interns, Austin. And they were like, hey Austin, can you come inside for a second? Uh, Brooks uh, just fell through the ceiling. And we all like looked at each other like, what? Like what just happened? And he said, well, he was trying to sneak into the girls' room but didn't want to, you know, like get caught. So he, <laughs> so he tried to move the tile, like the ceiling tiles, and like try to like walk on through the, on the beams, and ended up falling through the ceiling and fell onto one of the guys' bunk beds. <laughs> We're like, okay, great, solid. So then we went and looked at the damage and it was pretty bad, but no one was hurt or anything. And so then we went and woke up the head youth pastor, and we said, hey, works just above the ceiling, and he, like, looked at us for a second, and he was like, we'll do it in the morning, <laughs> and went back to bed.
1: <laughs> about 23 years ago, I boarded a plane to fly from New Jersey to Oklahoma City, and I was about uh, three months pregnant and traveling with my two-year-old son. Um, we got settled on the plane, and the plane took off, and shortly after takeoff, I wasn't feeling well, so um, Nick was asleep in his car seat and I asked the gentleman next to me if I could get out and go to the restroom. Um, well, when I, the next thing I knew I woke up, I had I had fainted in the aisle way and I woke up in a different seat and the um, flight attendant was taking care of me and I was just, I was still really sick and really concerned about where my son was. So she pointed out to me um, that he was, they had moved him up Closer to where I was sitting, but there was a lady um, flying on the plane that was taking care of him, feeding him lunch and um, reading him books and taking care of him for me. Um, when we arrived in Denver, they had called, called an ambulance and the ambulance came and they took me off on a stretcher and took me to the hospital. And in the emergency room, as they were giving me IV, Um, The nurses were so nice and my son was having the best time because he got to sit on the bed with me and have popsicles. Of course, whenever we were finished in the ER, we didn't have a place to go and we we couldn't go back to the airport and get another flight at that time. So they ended up having a place, a room at their Ronald McDonald House, so we were able to spend the night there and then get up in the next morning and take a flight out.
2: So this is a story about a supervillain I created. Um, so two scientists were hired to make an android with an enhanced strength and intelligence. They were told that they would n- get more money if they added extra abilities. So they added electricity powers. They call- they decided to call him Project Rolts. The buyers were the military. They wanted to send a bunch of androids into war. They had a, a lot of bots, but they needed a powerful intelli- and intelligent leader. The scientists decided to teach him a lot of skills to be able to help out more. Joel and the scientists had a bond until one night the scientists were at their houses. He went to the computer and found out what they were, where they were going to send them. He read e- the emails from the buyers. To him, it sounded like slavery. The next day, Jolt left. He thought the human, he thought humans were the only thing wrong in the world.
3: Okay, this is about my two boys when they were little. So Richard, that which is the oldest one, he was about three years old. And I was in a house that it was a two-story house. So I left Richard in charge of his little brother nathan which he was three months old and i told him i'm gonna leave nathan in bed in my big bed and i put pillows all around and i told richard i said watch your brother for five seconds i'm gonna run down the stairs to the kitchen and i'll be right back so make sure he doesn't fall off the bed and so i put pillows everywhere around so he wouldn't fall and nathan was awake so I run, literally run. I came back upstairs, and Nathan was screaming crying. So I came back upstairs, and I found him underneath his crib, the baby crib. And I asked, and Ricky was at the end of the bed watching Pooh Bear. And I asked him, I said, Richie, what happened to your brother? And I pick up Nathan, and he said, I don't know. And he kept watching TV. And I said, Ricky I told you to watch over your brother what happened and he said I don't know mom he failed and then the most funny part was that all the pills were in exactly the same spot I left them
4: Our pastor introduced this guy on Sunday gave him a few minutes to speak he was an estate planning guru so if anybody wanted to talk to me about estate planning he'd be on the four year after services it's very important to have your estate you know planned in advance he says Women are usually better at estate planning. Men have a tendency to blow it off. So he told the story of this man that met this woman at this social function and he flipped out over her. So in order to impress her, he let her know that his 90 something year old father owned this multi million dollar business and when he died, he would inherit it. So two weeks later, she married his father, which goes to show that women are usually better at estate That's planning funny. than men are. <laughs> But they thought I'd done left, but I hadn't. I was outside doing something. And I come in and there's two ladies walking down, headed this way like this, going into where Bingo is too, and the, where the snack bar and things is. And I come walking through and that one said, oh, you didn't, you haven't gone? I said, no, why, what do you got? I said, follow us, follow us. We got, so we goes through the door, walked around this way and they went in the ladies' bathroom. I said, well, I can't, I said, anybody in there? And they said, they looked, no, come on in. I thought a stool was stopped up. I walked in there, and I walked in there like this, and they said, look over there, and the the sinks was over, and I looked in there, and somebody pooped in the sink. (laughs) I mean, a lot, and the sink was high up. They either had to be really tall, or get up there and sit on it. Can you imagine? And they, they they was laughing. I said, I wish I had one home now. They said, we thought we were gonna have to clean that up. Oh, that's
5: so gross. I said, I'm a maintenance man. Bow (laughs) with him. One day I was in the backyard uh, mowing the yard, the lawn, and I started with my weed eater down there. And I headed down and here comes a snake just slivering by me. Oh man, I about had a heart attack, threw the weeder down, went in the house for at least 30 minutes and thought, man, I'll, I'm over it, I'll, I'll handle it. So I went back and I got down, the, I have a very big, large, large lot, and I went down it. And down to the whole other end was all these little bitty baby snakes, about 40 of them just Piled on each other and then i did go in the house i said that's it i'm through for the day i'm not going back and so I, i thought i know what i'll do i'll go out to work those macho pilots there they'll know what to do and they'll come and help me and get rid of my snakes so i went and told them and they they said "Whoa! we're afraid of snakes we don't want to get around those snakes but we'll tell you what to do Here's what to do. You get a bottle of uh, a gasoline and put on some long pants and some high boots and you go out there and you throw that gasoline on those little snakes and they'll all be gone. So I thought, oh man, that's terrible, but I, I got to get rid of the snakes in my backyard. So I do all that. I get all this garbage on and go out there and, and look all over. The snakes were gone. I didn't have to do it. I guess the mother took them off. Who knows? That's my story. Can you tell me a story?
2: Hmm.
5: Laurel, tell me a story. Let's
2: see.
6: It's. It's. Wait, what's in there? There's
3: a block in there. Can you tell me a story?
7: Look, it's block. Look.
3: Yeah. Look. Laurel, can you tell me a story? What did you and Daddy do this
4: weekend?
6: Hmm. hmm. What did you do this weekend? Did you go to a U game? Yeah. Daddy's still asleep. He's still asleep? Yeah. What else did you do?
3: <laughs> What's your favorite thing to do?
6: The blue, and red, and blue. Yeah. Laurel. Who's your best friend? Hey, it's a kind of fool. Look, and the one that yellow seat. Uh huh. Okay. Yeah. That's blue. Mm-hmm. Blue. Blue. She's... on the way. Yeah.
8: you on the way. I don't way. way I grew up playing soccer. Specifically, I played goalkeeper. And, of course, I played in high school. And... North, where I went to high school, was a big soccer school. We went to the playoffs and won championships pretty often. And it was my junior year. And it was my first time on varsity, starting. And one thing to mention is that I'm quite prolific at blocking penalty kicks. And... My team and my coaches saw this in practice frequently when they would struggle to score any penalty kicks on me at all, whereas the other goalkeepers would be easily scored on. Anyway, we were, we had gone to playoffs, and this was the second game, I believe, of playoffs. And the whole game played out and ultimately went to overtime. And then overtime played out, and we ultimately went to penalty kicks. Now, this was my junior year, like I mentioned, so it wasn't the last shot for me, but, you know, there was several seniors on the team, and, of course, everyone was nervous. No one wanted to, you know, get knocked out, and we were huddled up before penalty kicks started, and my coach... Whose name is Don? He got us all around to kind of, you know, give us some motivation. And he looked at us all very sincerely and said, Guys, I feel very confident that we are going to win this. And the reason why is because we have Nick in goalkeeper. That's me. And as if this wasn't already enough pressure. Um, that was obviously a little bit of a cherry on top and yeah, so he gave that great speech and we went out to face the other team in penalty kicks and I didn't block a single shot and we ultimately lost.
7: Sure, go ahead.
8: Okay, whenever you're ready.
7: You and your little brother used to come and spend the night with me and Papa Daryl because we would all have a good time, and you would come here and toddle around, and, and we were determined that, Daryl was determined that he wasn't going to put up all of the, you know, glass baubles and things that we... Knickknacks that we had sitting around that you kids were gonna learn, you know, not to you know, touch them or whatever so one time you all came over and uh, You kind of were walking around and you walked you you pulled yourself up on the end table over here and there was a crystal little bird that sat there oh, and you were just intrigued with it and Papa Daryl was sitting right right on the edge of the sofa, right next to the table. And you kind of put your hand up and started reaching for that little bird. And Daryl said, Megan, no, no. And you kind of pulled your hand back and looked at him and stood there for about a minute. And then all of a sudden here comes your hand again, <laughs> reaching for that little crystal bird. And Daryl said, Megan? and your hand just kept going towards the bird and, and Daryl just kind of took his hand and swatted at your hand like you, know, you swat a fly and you just stared right at him and stood there for another minute and then you just reached right in and grabbed that bird. And we all just started laughing. We were cracking up because you, you were so bound and determined to get that bird and And all of a sudden Daryl just he couldn't be mad at you; he just started laughing, so a wonderful child i mean he he was so good and he just was you could just tell he was such a caring little kid, and you guys were outside playing and daryl had what he had come one of his papa odd sprinkler remember that sprinkler system thing that he built with the it had p v c pipe and then two sprinkler heads on either end so that it would it would water a whole big section. And so little Nick would what was playing out there in the yard and he just walked out there and he was picking one end up and just dropping it. And so Daryl just yelled out the back door. He said, Son, don't do that. Put that you know, leave that down. And then like two seconds later, little Nick's standing at the back door just crying, crying. And I, I ran to the back door and I said, what's wrong? Did you, you know, I thought he fell down, hurt himself, whatever. And he goes, Papa Daryl yelled at me. <laughs> I was like, yeah. <laughs> it was the first time Papa Daryl had ever had to yell at him. It was funny.
9: So when I was a child, I used to play with, uh, I used to play Dungeons and Dragons. <clears throat> and they had little lead figurines that you would paint. And uh, so I had model paints, and I'd paint them uh, quite a bit in my <clears throat> on the floor of my bedroom. I had this big ceramic piece of, like, ceramic board that my mom got for me for so that that way I wouldn't make a mess on my floor. Well, one day I just wanted to really quickly, like, paint something. I didn't want to get it all out and get the... Board out and everything, so I just quickly grabbed the paint and um, started working on it. And then I stuck a the brush down into the paint, it fell over in a giant blob of brown paint right in the middle of the floor of my bedroom on a very like white looking carpet. <clears throat> so. As any normal kid would do, especially teenager, I went about fixing the problem. So what I did was, you know, because I, I had an exacto knife for doing the very same, same kind of thing for like cutting off pieces from these uh, figurines and stuff. And I cut out a square, I cut the, the paint, a square around it and pulled that, piece of carpet up then I moved my bed um, and then I cut out put it down and I cut a square out lifted it up and took the new piece and sewed it into the carpet replacing the piece of paint the, the hole that was where the paint was and then sewed the paint into the carpet underneath my bed moved my bed back no one knew until we moved
4: i'm gonna
3: tell you the story of my nose ring okay i wanted a nose ring for a long time and i kept seeing this cute little nose ring in megan's face so i decided to tell megan to take me to get one so what day was it I don't remember but we went together she hold my hand and I was raved now I have my cute little nose ring
10: alright so this is a story of how I broke my collarbone so I was with my friends on my bike and we're like racing each other down this hill and uh so I there was a sharp turn I had to make, and I could have done the turn, and I was going so fast that if I stopped, I would have, like, crashed, and I didn't want to crash, and to the other side was a road, and I thought that if I'd hit, get on the road, I'd crash, so I was thinking of what to do, and there was, like, this lamppost. And I was trying to think, ah, uh, what would be the best thing so I don't get hurt? And I didn't decide, and I like panicked and crashed into the lamppost. And I like flew off my bike. And uh, my friends were all like worried for me, like asking if I was okay. And one of them just kept laughing because of how funny it was. And so, yeah, that's how I broke my car, bro.
11: Un día que mi hija tenía una reunión me dejó con los niños y mi riquito siempre era atento con todo, todo sabía. Entonces ese día les nos dijo, "Me, me la hacen la me la graban mi peli, mi novela para venir a ver." Bueno, en eso no sé qué quería el Nathan Y yo fui a la, a, la, a la cocina con Nathan en los brazos y mi Ricky tras mío, pero en eso se acordó que mi niño, mi Ricky, tenía que grabarle la, la novela a su mamá y se pasó por delante mío y al pasarse por delante mío se cortó la ceja en la, en la parte del repostero. Y cuando lo único que hizo es agarrarse su cabecita y decir, está caliente. Cuando lo veo que se estaba sangrando. Corría al baño a lavarle su caberita y a ponerle, ponerle la mano acá y llamar a mi hija para que se venga. Se vino embalada su mamá y ya lo tuvieron que llevar al, al hospital. Cuando lo llevaron al hospital, él decía al doctor, doctor. ¿Duele? No, te voy a punzar, te voy a pinchar para que no te duela. Ok. Y entonces le puso la anestesia, lo coció. Eso es todo, sí. Ya se pueden ir. Ok. Y, y, y lindo, mijo. Nunca. Todo preguntaba. Era lindo, lindo, lindo. Eso es todo.
6: Hola, Megan. sobre la historia de cuando Nick and I got Callie, our cat. When Nick ruptured his Achilles right before our wedding, he said that when we got home after the wedding, that we could get a dog. So I had, you know, something exciting to look forward to since we weren't going to be able to go on our honeymoon. So we ended up getting back. It had been a few days and I was ready to get a dog. But Nick was really convinced that having a dog in the townhome wasn't a great idea so he kept trying to get me to get a cat, and I really did not want one. We got in this huge argument, and finally I gave in, and I said, okay, fine, let's just go to the shelter, let's see what we can find. But if we get a cat, it needs to have specific traits, it needs to want to cuddle, it needs to be able to you know, be on its own, play with itself, but also be social. He kind of chuckled and was like, okay, great. We're never going to find a cat. We end up going to the shelter. It was a really pretty shelter. They had all of their cats in different rooms with play toys, and all of the rooms um, had glass partitions so you could see inside them. And, you know, we just started one by one going into each room and playing with these cats. And some of them were, you know, really exciting. They would, you know, kind of run around the room and pretty much ignore us. Or there were some that would not get out of their beds and not even pay any attention to us. So as the day was going on, I realized, like, okay, we're not really going to find the cat that I'm looking for. I was already a little bit bummed. And then Nick went to some of the kids at the shelter and was letting them know specifically what we were looking for. And they said, hmm, you should should probably check out this cat named Callie. So we went into Callie's room. She was asleep. And, you know, we were sitting in the corner, and she she gets up, she stretches, and she walks on over to us, and I sat on the floor and started petting her a little bit, and she was a little standoffish. And then once I stopped petting her, you know, she, she kind of looked at me and then she put her head back in my hand and was basically gesturing for me to pet her again. And she was purring. And at that moment, my heart melted and Nick had a huge smile on his face. And we were like, this is it. This is the cat we want. And we've had her ever since.
9: Okay,
12: so before I knew Megan, When I was a kid, we had a bad childhood. My mom and dad got divorced when I was like 10, 11, 12, 13. And when they got divorced, we had to spend time with each of them. And they each got, you know, custody for so long periods, like alternating weekends and throughout school. So, with our rough childhood, we didn't like spending time with our father. Me, I say we as in me and my younger brother. My younger brother's name is Nathan. He is two and a half years younger than me, three years younger than me, basically. So we had to stay with Rick, our biological father, for extended periods of time. And at the beginning of their breakup, we had to go and spend a few weeks with him, up to a month with him during school. Well, to save the details and not make the story too long, me and my brother were fed up with being at his house. So we planned an escape. So after a hard day, we were laying in a bed, laying in bed together, me and my younger brother, we had to share a bed. So we were laying in a bed together, going to sleep. And we decided while Rick was asleep, we were gonna come up with a plan to escape. So we talked it all out and it was my idea and I convinced my younger brother and he agreed with me that the next day at school, we were going to run away probably not the best idea, but that's what we decided to do. So we talked it out, we made the plan, we did everything, and we said we were going to do it the next day. So the next day came along and we didn't do it. And we got back home and we both basically said we had, you know, scared, we got, you know, cold feet, we got scared, we didn't want to do it. But That day turned into a bad day too once we got home. So then we really decided to do it and we came up with an even better plan. So we convinced Rick, our father, to take us to the store that night because we had a school project the next day. We had like a party at school and we needed to get some stuff. So we convinced him to go to the store. We went to the store and we bought a bunch of snacks and some two-liter of – I think it was vanilla Coke and a bunch of snacks and stuff. And we convinced him that we needed to take that to school because we had a party the next day. So long story short is we woke up the next morning. We packed up all the snacks and the Coke. I went to my school. I was in middle school. My younger brother went to his school. He was in elementary school. And they were pretty close. They were probably like a mile away, maybe a little bit over. So I go to my school. And at my lunchtime, which was earlier than his, I went to lunch, bought a bunch of food from the cafeteria, Stuck all that food along with the snacks and the two liter of Coke into my backpack and walked out of the back exit of my cafeteria and started walking away from my school. Nobody noticed. No teachers really asked me any questions. So we, I'm walking away from my school, walking on the side of the road with my backpack on, and I'm like 12 years old. So some cars were giving me some pretty sketchy looks, and so I was kind of worried about it. So I started jogging a little bit trying to get to my brother's school as quick as I could. So it was like a mile. So after maybe like 15, 20 minutes, maybe a little over a mile, I get to my brother's school and I timed up the time perfectly to where he was at recess. And so I dropped my backpack at a corner and ran over to the back of the school where they're at recess outside and started playing on the jungle gym for a second, trying to look around, trying to find him. He had planned to be out there on the soccer field where I could find him. So I asked one of his friends, hey, have you seen Nathan? Have you seen Nathan? And they said, yeah, he's over here. Let me go get him. And I said, perfect. Well... We start to go over and go towards the soccer field where my little brother is so I can get him and so we can sneak away. And a teacher sees me. And a teacher comes over to me and about three other kids and says, come on, guys. Come play over here. Don't go too far away. She mistakenly took me for a kid there at the school instead of a middle schooler. So I got lucky. I walk over to the soccer field and one of his friends, she was a girl, one of her – one of my little brother's friends, she – Took me straight to him. I found him. I said, Come on, let's go. He said, All right. And I grabbed him. We ran inside. We went to the restroom. We used the restroom. And then we grabbed his backpack, went out the front door and out to my backpack. Got my backpack where I left it on the corner and started walking. We ended up walking to a mall, a nearby mall. We got to the nearby mall. We were sitting on a bench and we were eating our food. By this time, we walked around the mall a little bit. So by this time, it was time to get picked up from school. And I imagine because I wasn't there, but Rick went to pick me up first because I get out earlier. Well, as you can assume, I wasn't there. He freaked out, probably went to try to pick up my brother. and My brother wasn't there. And that's when everything kind of spiraled out of control. He then called my mother. My mother called her family, called the whole family. Cops got involved. Schools got in trouble and they tried to figure out and find where we were at so we were basically on the run. And as little kids, we didn't imagine it'd be this much trouble. So we're at the mall and we're eating our food and kind of having a good lunch because we were proud of ourselves, to be honest. And we took a long time. We sat there on a bench at one of the exits of JCPenney's and sat there and ate our food for about an hour and talked about how kind of proud of ourselves we were, how we were kind of making a statement, how we were making it known, what was going on. And it was just peaceful because, like I said, we had had some a string of bad days, kind of like a a chain of bad days together over at Rick's house. So this was kind of like our serenity time where it all was kind of coming to an end. So um, after this, to kind of summarize, um, after eating that lunch, which took about an hour, it's a little bit after school now and bunch of people were probably looking for us. Uh, we walked from the mall a couple miles over to where my mom's apartment was. She wasn't too far from the mall. We walked to the apartment and we were kind of hiding at the pool area and waiting to see anybody. And finally, my mom walked up after about 30 minutes. She walked up to the apartment door crying. You could tell she was very upset. And as soon as my brother saw my mom, I turned to look at him to tell him something and, And as soon as I turned to look at him and tell him something, he was gone. Dashed from where we were a hundred yards away over to the front door of our apartment, screaming, mom, mom, we're here, we're here. So before I could even say anything, he was gone to her. And I walk up slowly and she hugs both of us and we got in a lot of trouble. It's safe to say after, but we were back to her. She knew where we were at and she could kind of calm down. And that's the story of my... Delinquent childhood. Thank you.